look, the fact of the matter is KD, Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, whoever else you want to throw out there from the Warriors organization, none of them are doctors. The idea that the Lakers would risk not getting Anthony Davis, and I like Kuz, but give me a break. Right. Like, that, that's not going to be there. And so I don't think that is a reality of the situation. You cannot let Golden State shoot 42 threes and then let them shoot a high percentage from the three-point line. More times than not, you will lose. Chris Broussard here, and welcome to the brand new Hoops on Fox podcast. This podcast will give you your daily dose of all things NBA from Fox Sports, including the best content from Skip and Shannon, Nick Wright, plus special guests, fresh NBA content from myself, post-game interviews from NBA stars around the league, and much, much more. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Who deserves the most blame for this injury? If Steve Kerr was telling the truth yesterday, and, and I have as much respect for Steve Kerr as anybody in the league, Okay, I think he's a really good guy. If he was telling the truth and he said the Warriors doctors collaborated with KD's second opinion, independent mm -hmm. doctor, that's the first, maybe I missed it, but that's the first I heard of a second opinion. Is that you first guys? Time. Right. Yep. Okay. So if that's correct, that KD had an independent doctor not attached to the Warriors collaborating with them, and all the doctors said, you can play. All you can do is re-injure the calf. Don't You don't have to worry about the Achilles or anything. Then I would say the doctors are clearly to blame because they misdiagnosed this from KD's doctor to the Warriors doctor. Because, look, the fact of the matter is KD, Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, whoever else you want to throw out there from the Warriors organization, none of them are doctors. Okay. So, so all did, you can do... What did they do, misdiagnose? What? Well, that's what I'm, I'm going to get to that right. in a minute. They, according to Kerr, they said it's a calf injury and you can only, only thing you can do worse is re-injure re the calf. calf. Okay. Your Achilles is safe. He acts like they were shocked by the Achilles injury. He used injury. the word shock. Right. Okay. So there's that. If that's the case, I just believe it's a doctor. If I'm KD or Steve Kerr, I don't know medicine. If the doctors tell me I'm fine, I can go play, play through the pain, only the calf can get worse. I'm going to go play, and I'm going to feel good as a coach playing him because the doctor said it. Now, I don't, I don't like to call somebody a liar and say they're lying unless I know for a fact. So I'm not saying that about Steve Kerr. But there are people around the league that believe. Remember, the day after it happened, I was on the show, and I said I, I had somebody close to someone on the training you staff did. who said it you, was the Achilles. You said that. Okay? Now... There are people now say, saying, and, and a person has told me that they know, was, you know, they know this, that the Warriors all along and KD knew it was a, an Achilles. You know, slight micro tear. Yes. yes. Not a rupture, but that it was the Achilles and that the Warriors were protecting KD because he's headed into free agency. And they don't even want him, you know, it's like, hey, we're not, we're not going to send you into free agency with an Achilles tear, all that. And that's why KD was go along with okay. it. Okay, let's call it a cap. And then when they get down 3-1, you know, and, and everybody's saying you can play, but that they knew it was an Achilles. Now, I don't know if that's the truth, but I'm just saying some people are saying that. And when you look at circumstantial evidence, every time you saw KD, ice is on the Achilles or it down was. near the Achilles 
rather than the calf. That is true. You know, and yeah. as I heard you say earlier, he's jumping and dunking. That's not really with a bad calf. That, you know, so, and you can have slight micro tears in the Achilles and, you know, Absolutely. it's not ruptured. Mm -mm. But you may know it's going to go. So maybe KD knew, look, there's a risk. Maybe it'll go. Uh, but so I, if that's the, now, if that last scenario is the case and they all knew it was the Achilles, then I got to I got to put a lot of that on KD's representation, his agent, Rich Kleiman, mm -hmm. because that's mm -hmm. your job mm -hmm. to protect him, you know, to protect yep. him against himself. Yep. And if yep. KD wants to go out there and play, look, KD could nope. have potentially risked becoming the all time leading scorer in NBA history. KD could have potentially risked, like, if he well, he's going to be healthy, we know, in a year. But maybe he won't come back as KD. Maybe he comes back as Carmelo Anthony. You know, slightly not quite as good. Okay. Not good enough anymore to lead a team to a championship by himself. Okay. So now you're taking away your options. So it's just, it was a risk, and those representing KD's best interest should have put their foot down if that second scenario was true and said, KD, we, no. can't, we can't let you do this. Okay. Skip, Skip Bayless, <clears throat> you and I came in the very next day after Kevin Durant, they said it was a calf. I said, I, Skip, I said, Skip, I don't know about you, but I've never seen anyone react to a calf strain like that. I said, he looked back as if somebody had tripped him or kicked him because he thought that's exactly what P.J. Tucker had done because that's who he shot the ball over against the Rockets. And he looked back and he grabbed his Achilles. He didn't grab his calf. I understand the grass drop and the solace are the muscles in the calf. I get all that, mm -hmm. but I've seen too many times. And I said maybe he didn't rupture, but he got a tear in there. I said, that, why every time I watch him, the ice bag is, at the back, is, is on his heel Achilles area? His calf, there's no ice, there's no heat, there's nothing on the calf. Mm -hmm. But I thought he had a calf strain. Oh, Shannon, you don't know, you're not a doctor. You're right. And I don't, I hate playing one on television, but I've been a professional athlete for long enough. I've seen enough Achilles tears. I've seen enough of calf strains and certain injuries, and I know where the doctors put the ice. Skip, <clears throat> everybody failed this all around because the medical staff, on both sides, and this is the first time I agree with you that when I heard Steve Kerr say this yesterday, Chris, that he had independent, he got a second opinion from someone outside of the, uh, the, the Warriors organization. Well, they failed this young man. And if Kevin Durant knew that at the very beginning this was micro tears in his Achilles, he should have never, ever, ever risked it. I get, Skip, that the, the, the athlete inside of us, and when someone says, and I've been there, Lose a game, Skip, and my teammates come. Sharp, boy, if we had you, we had it. Man, they can't play with us if we'd have just had you. What do you think they're telling KD? Every time they come in the locker room, Skip Bayless, they lose a ball game and they see him. Man, if we had KD, it wouldn't even been close. This series had already been over with. They played at that side of KD. But I agree 100% with you, Skip, uh, uh, Chris Broussard. Rich Kleiman failed him. Your job as an agent is the what is the best, the best advice that I can give my client? Skip, this is $241 million in free agency. This is an opportunity for you to be a top five player. Guys, look, guys come back and they play very well. It's going to be very interesting to see in 2021 if Kevin Durant is the same player that he left in 2019. 
That's what we're going to have to see. But, Skip, they felt that at the end of the day, the rubber meets the road is Kevin Rand's final call. But Rich Kleiman's got to say, Kev, don't do it. It's not worth it. The, 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 the downside of this, which is rupturing your Achilles, is far greater than you winning a, 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 a third a, a championship in a row and being in a pan. The downside outweighed. The risk was too great, was greater than the reward. Mm. <clears throat> so back to your initial point. You guys both know when you tear your calf or even strain your calf, it's a hot knife in your calf. And it's an ow. <laughs> it's, it's a like, ow. God. That, that wasn't his reaction on May the 8th. The Achilles reaction is always a, huh? <laughs> right. Huh? What, what, what was that? That was an Achilles reaction I saw on May the 8th. It was startled. Yep. It was befuddled. Like, what, right. what just happened me? to me? And you know and I know the first thing they did the next day was take an MRI. It's a 3D view of the lower leg. And so you can see all the issues going on in the lower leg from the calf. And you got the gastroc and the soleus, and they meld right into the Achilles. You can see if there's any issue going on with the Achilles. You cannot tell me that whoever examined the first MRI, the magnetic resonance imaging picture, didn't say, hmm, huh, I see a little... A little problem there with the Achilles. To your point, you can have micro tears. You can have what they call fraying. You can have a little partial tear, but you can just flat out see it on the MRI. It does not lie. Yes. And so nope. somebody knew that was happening. We all believe that was happening from May 8th. It could have been pre-existing issue that was even exacerbated by what just happened on May the 8th, but it did not rupture or we, we wouldn't even have this conversation. So... But your, your source said, we fear, right? right. We fear that's right. what it was. So even if he went to an outside opinion, they had to know that, I, I don't know what number to put on it, 10% chance of rupture, 20% chance, a risk of rupture. S somebody had to know the risk. Right. And, and I'm assuming Kevin knew. I'm assuming he knew that there's some potential this is going to rupture. Because Steve Kerr was not lying when he said, the calf was 100% healed. It was. You could just see it in the pregame warm-up. Cece, tell me if I'm wrong here. I would imagine one of the things Steve Kerr said there, that the Achilles came into complete shock, was the thing that stuck out to you the most. You've been saying for well over a month now that a severe calf strain could very much, in fact, lead to an Achilles tear, which is exactly what happened to Kevin Durant. Yeah, this made me feel worse. This made me feel like Kevin Durant didn't have a chance. Of course he should have played. If no one told him he couldn't pull out his Achilles, the worst I can do is hurt my calf. Oh, man, I'm getting ready to play. Of course. I mean, I'm, I, everyone surrounded me, his, uh, his agent, business partner, the team doctors, an outside consultant, a doctor. Like, I really feel bad for him because it's just as simple as this. He got bad advice because I tore my calf. And I know I talked to my therapist yesterday, tore my left calf, three weeks later tore my right calf. And I knew every time I went onto the field, and I told him, man, if I jeopardize my career and I tear my Achilles, I'll kill you. And he said, Chris, I'm going to clean up your calf. I'm going to clean up your knee. When you go on the field, you're going to have full confidence to know. You're not going to tear your Achilles. And I said, is it on the board? He said, no, not if you get everything cleaned up. 
and it has a lot to do with things behind the knee. It's not only the calf muscle, but you have to clean to make sure there's no inflammation that the, that the um, Achilles is not stressed out. So I really feel bad for Kevin because he didn't get the opportunity to make the right decision. Even though he thinks that he might have gone out there, it's nice to give, them, give him that information. It'd been nice for someone to sit down and be level set and be like, are you willing to jeopardize free agency in less than 30 days? Are you willing to jeopardize a max contract to tear your Achilles? This is not an ACL. This is a torn Achilles. Like, we have not seen players come back and be better with a torn Achilles. We've seen people with ACL come back and be better. Explosive, powerful. Yeah, you can do that. So I really feel bad for them. And this was a long time ago. And I know modern-day medicine has advanced itself. But my trainer still works with some of the greatest pitchers in baseball, greatest wide receivers, athletes in the world, NBA players. He still he was treating people yesterday while we were watching the show and said, Chris, this is a crime right here. It's a crime that one of those doctors did not tell him, if you do not clean up the calf, the Achilles will be stressed out and he will be jeopardizing everything by going on the court. And he said, Chris, I would not let you play unless you could practice for at least a week. I prefer two. But you need to be on the court and challenge yourself in a practice setting before you go into game action. So I feel I feel I feel awful that that they did this and he didn't have the information that he could have made whatever decision. And if Kevin Durant, like a lot of athletes, decide to do that, I can live with that. But man, we need the information. Well, that's what's baffling about this is because we Steve Kerr, who is a man I trust a man I have enormous respect for on and off the court. He came out there, and if he'd have said, listen, this is professional sports, we're going for a championship, we did not think it was likely that Kevin Durant could, would tear his Achilles, but of course we know it's a possibility. We told that to Kevin. The doctors told us it was a two out of 100 shot. Kevin, made the, Kevin talked to his agent, talked to another doctor, and they made the decision. They're going to go out there and... You know, we spun the wheel and got unlucky. That's one thing. But that is not what he said. What he said was, this was, this was as, essentially what he said was, this was as shocking to us as if in that game he'd have torn his labrum because they had nothing to do with each other. And how can that be what your medical team says? How can that be the information he gets when, again, to make the point, Chris, without ever talking to Kevin Durant, said 30 days ago, be careful, yep. don't play, I don't think we'll see him again. Why, why would we not see him again? Chris, they're going for third straight championship. He could tear his Achilles. The morning of the game. The morning of the game, 33 days into it, said, I don't think he's going to play tonight. He could tear his Achilles. How can he know? And the, the doctors don't. The, two things came to mind. One, you see, you mentioned risking free agency. Even if Kevin Durant had a lifetime contract, 10 years, he's risking his basketball destiny. Yes. He wants to become the all-time scoring champion. He wants to go down in history as one of the five greatest players ever. I'm not saying that's off the board. No, but now he's but a year behind. That, and, and everything is altered now because of this. And, and the one other element that I it, I couldn't help, Jenna, but think about Kawhi Leonard. And yeah. the, 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 the pressure on Kawhi. The, the, the doctors are telling us this. The doctors are telling us this. And Kawhi's had some interesting comments about this, about what it's like to know how you're feeling, have other people not understand it, have it, you now understand maybe why some of Katie's teammates w w were whispering, why isn't he back? If they also thought, the worst that can happen to you, man, is you, you already have a calf strain. Who gives a damn if you have a worse calf strain? Come play. If that's what they thought, then of course he's going to go play.
But that how could that be the information that he receives and that he makes his decision on And that? the worst part is that he received it from the trainers and the mm -hmm. doctors and his team and everyone around him, and they made that collective and decision. And even the thing that was more incriminating, before the game, with very, very limited, no practice time five-on-five, five, playing two-on-two two and three-on-three, three, Steve Kerr said these words, there is no restriction on his minutes. And that right there is just idiotic, naive, criminal. He hadn't been spent any practice time. How can you put him on? He don't have no pitch count. He could play 40 minutes. Right. Well, it looked like they was getting ready to put it on his back. So, man, I mean, they, they messed this up. Now it's just a matter of will they ever fess up to it? Can, can I ask you real quick before we go? Do you think what Steve Kerr said right there is the honest-to-God truth? That in that organization, everyone was shell-shocked that this resulted in a torn Achilles. That in that, that nobody thought, guys, it, he's, he's risking his Achilles. I was given Bob Myers benefit of the doubt because he was a college basketball player. He might understand. But for all of them, and Kevin's independent doctor who said there's no chance him blowing out his Achilles, I, don't, I can't believe that five people, a couple medical, all these people can Kleiman, uh, his, his business partner, I expect him to be wrong. Right. I, Her played, yeah. Myers played, the doctors. I, 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 just, I just don't know how they botched it. They botched it a number of ways. And the only way now is to be able to cover it up compared to saying, oh, we messed this up because they did. Especially when you see him out there 12 of the first 14 minutes of the game, yes. having not really practiced all week. I'm going to take the Raptors tonight um, because I don't believe they have that adren that push, that uh, that seven-foot monster that they knew was going to be in game five. And he provided the spark skip because he opened up the floor. He allowed Clay and Steph to get comfortable early on. And then Clay never lost, never lost his comfort level in shooting the three. Although Steph went cold a little bit in the second half, he found his niche when he, he found his, uh, his mark when he really needed to in the fourth quarter. But I think Toronto has played great D all, all series long, and I believe they'll get back to that, especially not having to worry about Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant also provided them something, Skip, on the, uh, on the defensive side. Because he's so long, getting extra rebounds, blocked Siakam's shot, nothing came cheap early on for the Raptors, and therefore uh, the Warriors were able to get to a lead, and they made Toronto play catch-up for the entire game. What, they only took the lead, what, the last four minutes of the ball game, had like a six-point lead with about 3 305 left in the game to go. But I believe this time around, Skip, they will limit the amount of threes. You cannot let Golden State shoot 42 threes and then let them shoot a high percentage from the three-point line. More times than not, you will lose. I believe those threes will be tougher to come by tonight. They will contest more shots. They will bang the offensive glass like they've done all series long. And I believe they win a close ball game. And Kawhi Leonard would join Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and LeBron James as the only men to win, to win the Bill Russell Finals MVP trophy in two different locales. Okay, I'm going to have to tell our control room. I'm having a hard time hearing Shannon. It's going in and out, so forgive me for that. But I'm, okay. I'm going to try to guess at what you were just saying, and I'm going to try to talk to it. I, I'm going to go with you this far. I don't love the Warriors' chances tonight because there's no good reason they should win this game because I don't have any evidence from the previous three games that Toronto has played at Oracle this year. There's no evidence 
that, that Golden State should even have a chance tonight because all three previous games were wipeouts. And I'm going to remind you, the regular season game, albeit way back in December, was a complete wipeout. It was 113-93. to 93. And guess who didn't play? My guy, number two, did not play in that game. And it was 113-93. to 93. So what does that tell you? Because when he did play in game three, and when he did play, especially in game four, it was domination by the visiting team at Oracle, where the Warriors have not played very well all year long. Again, for the last time, I'm going to say this, because this is the last night at Oracle. This year, they lost six home games by 20-plus points, and two of those games were by 30-plus. Those are just bad signs. And I'm going to give number two this. In game three, he was very good, 30 points, seven rebounds, six assists, a couple of steals, a couple of blocks. But in game four, that was his most overpowering game of this finals because he went 36 and 12 with four steals and a block and zero turnovers, and he made five of nine three-point shots and nine of nine free throws. You can't do a whole lot better than that. So that was the last time I saw Toronto on this floor doing that to them. And obviously tonight, the truth is, I'm, I'm just being honest with you, number two should own this game. He will be the best player on the floor tonight because the best player on the planet, obviously, is in New York recovering from Achilles' rupture reattachment. And it's obvious that Toronto has the better team with the much superior depth. So so we start with all that, and then we add this onto it. I'm going to be honest with, with what I saw yesterday and heard from the rest of the Golden State players. I didn't love how they came out of the, the KD injury. It it seemed to cast a weird pall over the team because it seems like even some of the players would have to be quietly questioning the integrity, the honesty of their coaching staff and their medical staff and their management. That's how Mm -hmm. it came across to me to where instead of being inspired by KD's injury, like Clay tried to make the case for, it just seemed to me like they were a little deflated and, dare I say, disillusioned by how it all came about and why? Well, well, yeah, Skip, I think the thing is is that when you hear the medical staff says, well, if KD were to play, there he can do no further damage. Okay, maybe he restrains the calf. But this was the extreme. Not only did he – the calf was is the least of his problems. When you have an eruption of the Achilles as a basketball player, that changes the dynamic. And yep. the quickest we've seen someone come back – and we've seen guys have this injury. Chauncey Billups had this injury. Dominique Wilkins had this injury. Rudy Gay had this yep. injury. Basically, a conservative, you're looking at nine months. Skip, that's being very, very, okay. very. All right. But now, for the most part, guys take a year. Okay. Now, back to game six tonight. I picked the Warriors in seven. I'm sticking with them in seven, but I would like them in a game seven in Toronto more than I like them tonight. So tonight is the night. And I'm going to make the case, hanging with Golden State, that that Toronto's going to have to lose the game tonight more than Golden State will win this game. Because I don't think even Steven, level playing field, I I don't think Golden State can beat that team head up. If they both play a good game to very good game, Toronto, you'll be right. Toronto will win. Number two will be crowned. He'll be the MVP. Skip, if I'm hearing you correctly, you believe if they got to a game seven, 
the pressure would be so great on Toronto that they would succumb to the pressure and Golden State, having been in this environment with four, before, would be able to win. So in other words, you feel more comfortable with the pressure of Game 7 being in their building being too much for them to overcome Correct. as opposed to them being in their own building in a Game 6. Okay. This would boil down to, for me, Game 7 would become clay versus feet of clay. Because I think Toronto would have feet of clay in a Game (laughs) 7. But in Game 6, it seems like Toronto is playing better away from the home pressure to do something that's never been done in the history of Raptors basketball, which is win an NBA championship. So tonight, my only hope is that the Warriors can hang in, hang on, and get to a fourth quarter in which the rim will start looking smaller and smaller and smaller to the visiting team. I think the visiting team will play well for three quarters. Then it'll be it'll come down to who makes the threes in the fourth quarter. And I still believe well, Golden State can make more threes in the fourth quarter. Well, we do know this for certain. For whatever reason, and I don't know, and I don't I don't know. I, I think he tries to replicate that when he goes home. Kyle Lowry plays. He does. I told you that before that. Exponentially better. I told you before game three, you were all over him. I said, no, he'll play big in this game. Skip, we've never seen anything like this, Skip. We've never seen a player of his caliber play so much better on the road than he does at home. And you mentioned getting to a game seven, uh, feet of clay, you hoping they have hands of stone mm-hmm. that all of a sudden I agree. No. the rim True. is, is, is thimble-sized as opposed to ocean size, and they can throw it into that. that, that uh, is but true. for me, let me ask you this, Skip. Do you believe that Boogie Cousins can have a game two and five in game six or a game seven if necessary? Because I've seen nothing that would indicate that he can put together back-to-back games. I have not either. I don't completely trust him tonight because you're right. Every time the, uh, to use your term, expectations rise for DeMarcus, Mm-hmm. He crumbles because he's never been on this stage with this kind of pressure. And all of a sudden, after a good game, he's like, ooh, now I'm expected to have it. The other night, he was not expected. He was the third-string center. He was only thrust into the action because KD went down, and then all of a sudden, obviously, Kavon. Looney. Kavon he, Looney he couldn't, got hurt. He couldn't stay. You know, he, right. he played for a while, then he couldn't go. And all of a sudden, it's down to Bogut or Bust, and it's kind of Bust, so let's go with DeMarcus. And all of a sudden, DeMarcus makes six out of eight shots with, with nobody really expecting him to. So tonight, he, right. he can be dominant in this game against Gasol. He can dominate him athletically, just on pure talent, size, strength. He's got all that. But he has to play with dominant poise on this stage, and I'm not sure that he can which means we're, we're back to this. Clay has to be dominant tonight for all four quarters. Mm-hmm. He has been their rock as a scorer and a shooter. And, and the reason, as I told you the other day, that they won game five was he just kept scoring six points, eight points, six points, six points. Every quarter, he, he made the key shots. So, again, can they make 20 of 42 threes as they did at Toronto? No, they won't. Could they make 17? They may need 17 to win tonight. And they're going to have to hope that Toronto stays in that 8-for-32 range, which was 25-ish right. percent, okay? So it's going to come down get, to that. Go ahead. Can I follow, let me follow up on, on, the Boogie, on the Boogie Cousins. Skip, I'm not so sure Boogie would have even gotten in the game had Kevon no, Looney got, not well, gotten hurt. Not. Because, because they go Looney-Bogut. 
that tells me they really had no uh, uh, inclination to play Boogie, given what they had seen from him in games three and four. But because Kevon Looney got hurt and they had they had no other option, you can't play Bogut 20, 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. So Boogie had to get inserted into the ball game. Another thing to the three-point shot that you were mentioning, Skip, you can't let Golden State, they shoot too good. You can't let the, let them get that volume of amount of threes up. You can't let them get 42 cracks at it. Because even if they shoot 36%, that's going to be 15 threes. That still might be too many. You need to hold, you got to chase them. Because remember, in game three, Skip, you said, uh, Steph, the threes, they were chasing, he was hitting a bunch of twos because they were chasing him throws. off the three. Yep. That's what they're going to have to do. they got to chase Clay. they got to chase. But here's the thing. You can't run past him because what he will do, he will sidestep you and step back beyond the three-point line. So you have to run, run at him under control, and you can't do what Van Fleet did. Van Fleet fouled step on one three for a four-point play, and he then did. he fouled him another time, and he got three free throws. You have to understand how to close these guys out when they're at the three-point line. Okay. Speaking of Steph, I still say he owes his team for that collapse back in 2016 to your LeBron, Kyrie, <laughs> Cleveland Cavaliers. Steph came up smaller than he is in those last three games, five, six, and especially seven at Oracle. He still owes them. He, he hit the biggest three-point shot of his career in game five at Toronto the other night, and it was the one to tie. And he caught it off the yes. cut and just went straight up and shot it with conviction and he made it after he'd gone one for eight in the second half from three. Well, they need a couple of flurries from him tonight. You know what I'm talking about at Oracle, when he makes four in, in a two-minute span, four threes, because Oracle yes. is going to be on hair trigger tonight to just blow the top off the roof. It is the last night. I do agree. We had Rick yes. Buecher on, and he goes to every game at Oracle, and he said last couple of years, fans have been so spoiled, they just sit on their hands and they wait for the team to bring them up out of their seats. Now, tonight, the crowd needs to try to fuel this team in ways it hasn't been for the last couple of years. I think if the Pelicans were enamored with that number four pick, we'd probably have a deal done at the moment. They're not. Uh, the Lakers are trying to find a taker for that number four pick at the moment. I don't know exactly what they're going to be able to get mm -hmm. back for that fourth overall pick. It's it's not anywhere near as valuable as a pick inside the top three. Teams like the Darius Garlands and the Jarrett Culvers, even Cam Reddish, who I think is going to make some moves on draft night, but not enough to give up anything substantial, at least not anything that the New Orleans Pelicans want. So I'd put the Lakers right now as a slight favorite, but I still think it's very early in this process, and a lot can change over the next week. Well, when you say early, I was about to say, it, it's early kind of in that they do want this deal done before right. the draft. The draft, we know week when is that is. a long is. time, though. Like uh, that's... Sure. The draft mm -hmm. is one week from tonight, right? It's June 20th, and so they... For the Pelicans, the reason they want this done by the draft is because if they are going to receive draft compensation from anyone, they want to be able to pick the player. They want to be mm -hmm. able to have yes. a guy that fits what they're trying to do. We talked about this last night. If 
if the Pelicans are good with Ingram and Lonzo but don't want the pick, they want a player, what type of value does the number four pick have across the league to other teams? What are the types of players or the names of some potential options that you think the Lakers could acquire for that fourth pick and flip to the Pelicans? I do think it depends on the team and how much they value that fourth overall pick and the position that particular team is in. I mean, an Aaron Gordon type makes some sense at that number four spot. You know, Clint Capella's name has come up in trade talks before. But then you get into the machinations of making a trade like that with both guys like Capella and and Gord, who are just examples at this point, making max level money. So you have to figure out how that works on the Pelicans' books to make a deal like that. Look, I think the Lakers are going to spend the next few days and into the next week, if that's what it means, desperately trying to find a taker for that number four pick to get something that the Pelicans want. I also don't think that Kyle Kuzma is going to be a deal breaker. I don't think the, Pel- the Lakers right. are going to hold on to Kyle Kuzma and not get a deal done in exchange for Anthony Davis. The Mannix, are you like me? even concern that they have the power in the front office, even if they were the favorite, which you say they might be a slight favorite, that they have the mm, the intellect, the skillfulness, because it might take another team to be able to pull this off. Do you have confidence, or are you like me, I have a lack of confidence in what the, the, the Lakers... the Lakers could pull off a complex trade involving multiple organizations. Yes. That's yeah. your concern. I, I think that's a fair concern. Um, I think Rob Palenka is an excellent deal maker. He's done it as an agent in the past. I mean, you can question the types of deals that he makes. When it comes to constructing deals, I think he's capable of doing it. Just the question is, what kind of value can he find for that fourth overall pick, and can he get the Pelicans something that they ultimately want? I think the Kuzma stuff is a smokescreen. I think that, I that what I think is the Lakers are trying to set up the narrative. If this deal gets done, Ingram, Ball, fourth pick – that they can say, look, we held firm. We didn't give up Kyle Kuzma. The idea that the Lakers would risk not getting Anthony Davis, and I like Kuz, but give me a break. Like, that's not going to be there. And so I don't think that is a reality of the situation. There was even a report in the L.A. Times by a writer I have an enormous amount of respect for, Antonio Ganguly, saying that the Lakers, if they were to include Kuzma, maybe they could then keep the fourth overall pick. There is not... A person in the world, no, even if the fourth pick doesn't have the value the third pick does, that value still want it. Kuzma more than the fourth overall 100%, pick. 100%. Right. Yes. So, all right, so we're on the same page on that. We're on the same page on what the Lakers could offer. The other teams that can get in the game are who and what? What is the Celtics' last best offer? Does it does it involve as we sit here today, where it looks like Kyrie is out the door, but we won't know that by draft night officially? Does their last best offer involve Jason Tatum? And if not, what doesn't can have to. what can they offer? I don't believe that without any type of commitment from Kyrie Irving, the Celtics will offer Jason Tatum. He is the best player that could be involved in any currently constructed deal, and the Celtics aren't going to part with him because if they do, and Anthony Davis walks, all the gains they made... The rebuild was a bust, then. It was a total bust. Mm -hmm. Do I think they'd include Jalen Brown in that mix along with draft picks? I do. I think that is a Jalen Brown-centric offer with a whole bunch of draft picks, and they can go five, six first-round draft picks deep over the next couple of years. I think that's something they'd be willing to put on the table. But I will say this. In the last... 48 to 72 hours since the Kevin Durant injury, there's been, I guess I'd say, a renewed invigoration within the Celtics organization about maybe convincing Kyrie Irving to stay in Boston. I think before Mm. the Durant injury, 
there was a strong belief that he was going to walk out the door. But now that Durant's hurt and likely out for at least next season, and who knows what he looks like beyond that, I think there's a sense that maybe they can convince Kyrie to stay. And if they're able to construct a deal that the Pelicans will accept, even if it includes Jason Tatum, they can turn and go to Kyrie and say, if you stay, we are going to get Anthony Davis. We have this deal in place that we know the Pelicans will accept. All we need is for you to tell us that you're going to stick around. The one-year rental doesn't scare off the Celtics in any way. He and his team seem adamant that he is only going to be anywhere other than most likely the Lakers for a year. I would, I would say this. There's not much that really scares Danny Ainge on stuff like this. He just, he, he just believes that... Look, he's not going to do something stupid, I don't believe. I don't think he's going right. to... He's not going to make a Tatum trade with nothing there. He's not going to give up all his assets. But it, 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 posturing like this doesn't bother Danny Ainge. Just like, just like bringing Kyrie back after all the turmoil doesn't really bother Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge is a player of the 1980s. He was playing in those Celtics locker rooms where most of the time they all hated each other. And it was a lot of back and forth uh, between guys. He believes talent wins championships. So if he can get Kyrie Irving to sign, he will roll the dice and bet on his franchise. Okay, so two points on that, though. That, first of all, we know the one-year rental scares him in this regard. If, if in that Sports Illustrated interview, Rich Paul, instead of saying, if he, you can trade him to the Celtics and he will be a free agent in 2020, if the quote was, if, you tra if the Celtics trade for him, he's signing an extension, then guess what? Jason Tatum is traded, and it's right. done. So in that sure. regard, we know it has a, cooling, a chilling effect. And in the other regard, Danny Ainge loves talking about making deals. He does not love the idea of ever potentially maybe just a chance losing a deal. You reported he could have had Kawhi Leonard on a one-year rental, for not for Jason Tatum, but for Jalen Brown, and decided that is... That's too rich for my blood. So the idea that Ainge, I get it, you would include Tatum if you're not only trading for a year, maybe more of Anthony Davis, but, but a de facto trading for Kyrie. four years of Kyrie, it makes sense. But this is where the timelines don't match up. Kyrie, I, I would be shocked if Kyrie, after waiting this long, doesn't hit true free agency. Oh, I agree. And then, and then Danny Ainge would have to be rolling the dice. And I don't think the Celtics' offer can trump the Lakers' offer without including Tatum. Doesn't seem like they're going to include Tatum. Jen, I know you don't buy into the one-year rental thing. I'll say it again. If there's a team that's going to not care about the one-year rental and want to get in the game, that, that team is Denver. Denver has the assets. They, they can think we can do a Toronto-type situation, try to go win a championship. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of buzz around Denver actually doing that other than people like me and Mannix and others bringing them up as a Not yet. Not yet at the moment. I think a lot can change over the next couple of weeks. But just to put a button on, on what an agent says, look, I believe Rich Paul's looking out for the best interest in his client. He, he, he firmly believes that L.A., regardless of LeBron, is a good landing yep. spot for mm -hmm. Kevin Durant. However... I don't believe that the representatives for Paul George wanted him in Oklahoma City before that trade happened. We certainly know when the Kawhi Leonard trade went down because there was reports out there, Kawhi doesn't want to be in Toronto. Mm -hmm. That didn't scare the Raptors off, and look where they are now. So there is a lot of, of, of things to gain from rolling the dice.